0: In today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, we talk about a song that came from possibly the greatest year in pop music history. And for a podcast that might feel a bit old, we're going young.
1: Carl Young. And we talk about a song that says one thing, but means a mother. I mean, another. This is our take on John Waits' Missing You.
0: Frank, have you ever had a moment where you caught your breath?
1: Well, it's kind of difficult. The breath is kind of... You can't really physically grab it, can you?
0: Metaphorically, Metaphorically. have you ever had a moment, Frank, where you caught your breath?
1: Yes, absolutely. After like a big workout, big run, something like that, you catch your breath or you do one (gasps) thing like a gasp. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. I've heard you kind of make those noises when you see a surprise in a movie or... I tell you a shocking story and you you kind of make that swooning catch your breath thing. Yeah. I recall catching my breath. I don't know if this is a little too much information, but I remember when I had broken up with Ashley and for years we had kind of been friends, but I never told her how I felt and I would kind of lie to my friends that everything was okay. But when I thought of her... So
1: wait, you lied to me for, was it four years?
0: Did you think I still liked her? No, but you always said things were fine. You didn't hear me go, (gasps) every time I said that, when I caught my breath?
1: I just thought that was your asthma.
0: It was not my asthma. It was not acid reflux. I was catching my breath. Oh, okay. I remember even once telling Ashley when we would hang out for coffee that, well, everything's okay, and you know, you're you're probably happier, and I guess it wouldn't have worked out between us. And so everything's fine. And of course, uh, I was lying to her. And I was lying to myself.
2: Frank, when you said you can't catch your breath because it's it's out there, it's kind of reminded me of the Jungian shadow, uh, which is a little preface to some later comments I'm gonna make under the under the guise of a Jungian student, as applied to John Waite. I ain't in parenthesis, missing you.
1: So we kind of jumped the gun here, middle of the introduction. Before we finish that off, we're gonna introduce our good friend Stu, who has joined us on the podcast today for John Waits' Missing You.
0: And we are super excited because I remember when we were at the Barrel Bar at your house discussing getting you on this podcast, and you said, Hey, are you going to do that song? I ain't missing you at all. Missing you. And then I knew we needed to get you on this podcast. So two years later, here you are. Yeah, and the exciting
1: part is that you're such a big Tom Waits fan that you chose a song that was by his more successful cousin, John Waits.
2: Actually, I, I hate to contradict you this early in the podcast, and I know I'm a new member. <laughs>
1: I think you love contradicting me.
2: <laughs> but a little fun fact for our listeners is his real name is actually John Charles, but he adopted his stage name of John Wait as a tip of the hat, or as our friend The Hammer likes to say, a doff of the chapeau to his idol, Tom Waits. Oh, really? This is the first in several of Tom Waits' jokes.
1: I had no idea that this was a reference to Tom Waits. Or are we? Or did, wait, did you just make that up?
2: Point of clarification: Are we married to the truth in this podcast? No,
0: not not entirely.
2: Well, the nature of the song is uh, what is truth. Actually, what is marriage? I believe is a
0: that is fair enough. Just to end my story, I know Frank <laughs> looked at me. That my story was going too long. Ash and I did get back together because I'm no longer a stupid idiot. However, John Waits' character in this ain't getting back together.
1: Yeah, no, not with this song, not the way it was written, not the theme at all.
0: Let's go through the history of John
2: Charles Waite.
0: He starts off in a little big band called The Babies.
2: He was the lead singer and the bassist, uh, and they had a hit uh, I think we're all familiar with, Every Time I Think of You. Uh, I think we know how that goes. Every time I think of you, I go blind. (laughs) I love that song.
1: We brought Stu here for the jokes. (laughs)
0: So they had several s- tunes. I was going through them actually. They're they're pretty good. But never really made it as a band. So in hindsight, people talk about the babies being important. But he talks about living like in not squalor, but just from uh what do they say? From hand to mouth? I think you're you're thinking foot and mouth. No, that's what you do. But I'm like, do you eat h- oh, h- living yeah. hand to mouth? Hand to mouth. Isn't it time? That's one that I recall. But the, for our purposes, every time I think of you is a big one, because John Waite uses that as a cue when he couldn't figure out how to begin our current song.
1: But they were always seen as like a, a lesser version of Foreigner or REO Speedwagon or whatever other sort of late 70s corporate rock that was
2: going on. Is yeah. That, is
1: that a sort of a, a good analogy?
2: I don't know what there could be other than a lesser version of REO Speedwagon. <laughs> <Foreigner>. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. They started in the mid-70s,
0: but they headed straight to LA, didn't try to do the the England thing, even though he kind of talked about being a London band, but they made a video. They're one of the first bands to ever make a music video. John Waite claims they're the first ever music video. Oh, okay. And then he said, don't believe anything else. I'm not sure I believe him. I think there's videos out there. I feel like the Beatles made videos, but I'll I'll stop there. I went through the baby's music video, and it just looked like every other music video to me from the 70s. Okay. But I don't want to draw the eye or John Waite. Either way. I believe it's (laughs) Waite. You guys are killing me. So, the babies don't do great. They kind of break up in the end. I got a great quotation here. In the Billboard book of number ones, John Waite says that he was the last one to leave the babies. He says the following about his band members. They were looking for security, but I... Was looking for truth. Let's sit with that for a while.
1: John Waite, musical philosopher, I think we can say.
0: So he leaves the babies, complains about how the record company treated them. Signs with the same record company. <laughs> <laughs> of course he does. as a solo artist. I might be getting this mixed up because he, he leaves the record company that he's with for the first album. Yeah. So he might actually have gone back to the baby's record company for the next one. But either way, do you have the name of the first album in front of you there? Ignition. Ignition. And then he has a song called Change or Changes. What's it called? I believe it's called Change. And he puts together a music video for Change. And because MTV is just starting. They play it all the time yeah. because it has a story to it. I don't know if you watched the video. It was pretty good, although I don't totally understand things. At one point, somebody pulls off a mask and it's John Waite and they may or may not have pushed someone off a building.
1: <laughs> well, which makes sense. It was the early 80s. I mean, nothing. Yeah.
2: And he was searching for truth. He was. <laughs> yes. And his breath and his Jungian shadow.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, he sent his Jungian
2: shadow off the roof. He pushed himself off the roof. The part of himself he couldn't reconcile with.
1: Oh, man. I don't know, Stu, I don't know if you've listened to this podcast, but we are very surface. You're getting a little deeper than, than what we are comfortable with, perhaps.
0: If anything, you're kind of revealing your own Jungian shadow by
2: claiming this whole surface hey, why
1: thing. is this teaming up against me now? I don't understand.
2: Just in response to that, Frank, if, if I may, if I may, <laughs> I'll can I finish? It. Yeah. I'd like to do a bit of a deep dive into the hits of uh, John Waite. Uh, in 1990, he scored a hit called Deal of Life which landed a place on the Days of Thunder soundtrack. His song Change also appears on the soundtrack to the classic movie Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues, uh, directed by, I believe, Francis Ford Coppola. And Wait, of course, took on a non-speaking role in the film.
0: <laughs> he also fronted a band called Bad English that had Oh, such one. a good yeah. band. Frank, I See You Smile? Yeah, which Frank... Had his first dance to and his grade eight dance.
1: It was grade seven.
0: Oh, wow. Look at you dancing it up in grade seven. It was the end of grade
1: seven. It was practically grade eight at that point. I went to like three dances that year and didn't dance with anyone because, well, I was like me except younger. Like same awkwardity,
0: just smaller versions of it. I think my first dance was with a girl called Hope which is possibly ironic <laughs> because I was watching the other girl I was actually in love with dance with the guy who bullied me while I was in grade eight. And plus you had no hope. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. It was To Love Her
2: Mind by Elena Miles.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. Oh man. Stu, what was the first dance you ever slow danced
2: to? Do you well, remember? I'm glad you asked, Frank. My first encounter with Missing You happened uh, when it first broke on the scene in 1984 and sent shockwaves Literal shockwaves, as the uh, millennials say, and misuse literal, through the small northern community of Sault Ste. Marie. I remember vividly dancing uh, with a girl who uh, was obviously very compassionate to social outcasts. I was wearing glasses that required their own neck brace. <laughs> I had feathered hair and the beginnings of a mullet, and I was wearing rugger pants.
1: I don't know what those
2: are. I wasn't really wearing the rugger pants, but the rest is true. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I engaged with the song, Missing You, not only viscerally, but also intellectually, because I had to imagine a girl that I liked, which actually wasn't that hard to imagine. Then I had to imagine getting together with her, which was difficult to imagine. Then I had to imagine things not going well, which again, wasn't very difficult to imagine. And then me singing the song to her, which was difficult to imagine because it's not really in my range.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not in your cue zone. So this was the first song you ever slow danced to?
2: Yeah, I was uh, 24.
1: That's fantastic. I did not know that. This is so great.
2: Well, okay, now it all makes sense because when
0: he told us to do this song while we're at the barrel bar, now listeners, it's called a barrel bar because the table is just a set of barrels. Stu looked off into the distance and I just saw a single tear go down your eye. And then you excused yourself for the
2: rest of the night. I had to take a knee. It was true.
0: Do you know where you were when you first heard
1: this song or any memories for yourself? I have no idea because this came out in 84. So we would have been about seven years old at yeah. the time. Yeah. It just always kind of existed in that sort of pop culture universe. It was just, it was there. It, it was kind of before time and after time and during time or something like that.
0: And time after time, it's there. One moment in time. Yeah. The
2: Einsteinian
0: reading of the song. I feel like we would have heard it at Prudem's Landing at some point.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And I remember thinking it was too sad to listen to and I'd try to go off down a water slide or something. That's how
2: I think.
1: Well, if you're going down the water slide thinking about the song, no one can
2: tell that you're crying because of the water. That's a good point. I find I find the shower is good for that as well.
0: I feel we kind of gone off track a little bit, which is okay. We've gone off of about four different tracks so far. <laughs> Needless to say, despite the success of Change as a music video, it was getting played like eight times a day. It didn't get radio support. And John Waite said the radio support wasn't coming in because the record company wasn't doing its job. And so I'm starting to understand this a bit better. But to hit number one or to get a hit, you need your record company pumping this out to radio station. You need support. Yeah. And he was, felt he wasn't getting support, so he just says, forget it. That's not what he said. He said a different word, but I'm going to say this. He said, forget it. And he leaves and goes back to England, and he gets a bunch of lawyers to get him out of his record contract, despite it being a lucrative record contract. And while he's in England, he settles down in a small village and gets married.
2: Because he was searching not for money, but for
0: truth. That's right. And on his search for truth... He gets a call somewhere along the way to come back to New York City to land a new record deal and to try to make a new album. For money. For money. For truth. Truthfully, he got money. Yeah. So he goes back and I guess things aren't going so well in his personal life. With the woman
1: he just married.
0: Yeah, just married. Because I I don't think the album comes out pretty shortly after the first album. Yeah. It's the first album. You got that in front of you there, Frank. When did it come out? Yeah. 82. So, it came out two years later. Right. Okay. So, if it comes out in 82 and the next album comes out in 84, and he's, his story is he quit and moved to England. Now, if he quit and moved to England, he's got to come back and then record the new album, which is probably recorded in 83. Yeah. So, I think he only left for a couple months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, he leaves the small village in England, comes back to the States, records an album, and then at the very end of the album... While they're in the process of mixing it, he comes up with this. And so, there's three songwriters listed on this. Yeah. Okay. What are those writers? Charles
1: Allen Sanford, John Charles Waite, Mark Leonard, and Roberto Cassini. So, I, I showed there were four writers on it.
0: Even though there's all these songwriters on there, people ask John Waite about this because there's other singers. He said, I was singing over a tape. So, I think he was sent music. And then he sang over this tape. Yeah. And when he sang over it, this song just burst out of him. The yeah. first verse and chorus, apparently, or something like that.
1: That's what I read on it, that it was just kind of almost made up as he went along. I don't know how much I believe that. I think it was already in his heart and in his mind, and that he just, he was working off of a script. That's my knee-jerk reaction. All I can say is,
0: this song is Devastating.
1: For those of you at home, Bill just held up a note that he had wrote himself, which had devastating and giant capital
0: block letters. Subtly. Oh,
1: very subtly.
0: So apparently there's more going on. He's got a couple other uh, girls on the go. At least one he's kind of with that's not his spouse. And there's another one he's pining for that's also not as bad. There's lots going on here.
1: So there's a couple of different stories around this, uh, depending on the interview that you read. So the song is essentially about three women. It's about his wife who, shocker, became his ex-wife.
2: Who saw that coming?
1: I know, right? When he's not missing her at all. Then there is an ex-girlfriend of his or an ex-relationship of his that he was pining after. And there's also the woman that he was involved with while he was recording this
0: album. I know that's all going on in his life, but the song that he brings to us is a song about someone trying to pretend he's missing somebody, but deep down, he's totally pining for her. And this is about no, self-deception. You,
1: I, th- I think he got that backwards. It's a song about someone he's he says he's not, not missing. It. But he is. But he is. Yes. Isn't that what I just said? No. No. Oh, my God. You said
0: the opposite. I did?
1: Almost. Oh, man. You said half of the opposite. I
0: think I need a Jungian reading of myself here. Oh, it's to come. I think it's time we work through the song? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Let's talk about that beginning. Pretty haunting beginning there. I like that it begins with the words missing you. One is we know what's the title of the song.
1: Well, yeah, it tells us what we're getting.
0: Two is he's not saying he's not missing her. Yeah, It's missing you. The truth is hidden in plain sight. Yeah. Yeah. It's the title, isn't it? Yeah. Why didn't I even think about this? I have no
1: idea. But I like also at the very beginning, it's just that little, it's only about what, three beats on the drums, like ding, 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 missing you. Mm-hmm. Missing you. I don't know what it is, but it just, it sets it up nicely.
2: I think it also indicates that um, when the background singers are whispering missing you in direct contradiction to the title of the song, I ain't missing you. I thought the song was called missing you. I think the I ain't is in parentheses.
1: That's nothing that I see, but go on.
2: All right. I adjusted the facts to fit my theory. Okay. Well, we do that a lot here. It indicates he's struggling with his subconscious. And this is the Jungian information that our listeners have been dying for. (laughs) In the first two choruses, the words are, no matter what my friends say. In a later chorus, it's no matter what I say, which suggests he's getting closer to the truth. Now, this interpretation is supported by a scene in the video where he's sitting in a single chair in a bare room underneath a swinging light bulb, which are the classic tropes of the interrogation. But there's no interrogator in the room because he is, in fact, interrogating himself and getting closer to the truth. When I started this out, I meant it to be entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I was like,
0: "Well, that's the end of our podcast." Actually, that's the end of the whole entire the thing. Entire I, <laughs> I think this. I feel like that's, that that license swinging above my head every time we talk about a, a song. I'm sorry.
1: I was captivated that entire time, though. Was that am I the only one that was entertained by that?
0: That was fantastic. Okay, that's quite a reading. Yes.
2: If I may, I just want to wrap things up.
1: You may, yes, we'll allow this.
2: When he finally arrives at the truth at the end of the song, he ends it with the crushing line, I can lie to myself, which suggests like the Leonardo DiCaprio character in Shutter Island, he decides it's less painful to live with his illusions than to face the truth, which is also the plot and theme of every Tennessee Williams play. And just in conclusion, how long have I been talking now?
1: I have you going on about uh, seven or eight minutes, yes. Wow. Wow.
0: You know, usually we like to work through each verse and not just totally oh, sorry. nail yeah, the thing. Uh, well, I <laughs> guess that's... <Shock> through <laughs> the song here. I'm so glad we could do this 15-minute episode. I believe as we work through this, it will reveal itself to be true, but that nails it. So we have John Waits not only recalling his own personal pain, but walking through Tennessee Williams, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Carl G. Young all right let's go through that first verse hey, yeah. i don't know how we're <laughs> we, just, we can how go we, through it yeah you, you I mean, know what the ending is already yeah. well that well now i know the ending of the shutter island you two jerks <laughs> well Stu told you not me i just sat here grinning every time i think of you which is a baby song right yeah so he begins with this i always catch my breath and that makes sense with your opening and i'm still standing here and you're miles away and i'm wondering why you left
3: Every time I think of you, I always catch my breath, and I'm still standing here, and you're miles away, and I'm wondering why you're left.
2: If we can just go back to your opening, it's very emotional when he uses the phrase, I catch my breath. Like he's, you know, he's drawing in his breath, his heart's skipping a beat. But then when he goes on to the lines that you just read, I'm standing here and you're miles away. It's at that point that you realize he can't catch his breath because he's been chasing her and can't keep up, which isn't really coming from a position of strength. And he's standing there. He's kind of given up.
0: Okay. I want to...
2: That wasn't that funny. You can cut
0: No, that. I don't like that people it's are... It's not funny. Frank's just got a... Frank's head hurts. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, you've thought about this more than just making it up as... Honestly, this is probably the fourth time I've heard this song in the last, like, year was today,
0: and now I'm
1: analyzing this song and... I don't like that you're smarter than me.
0: I'd like to welcome everyone to Bill and Stu's Guilt-Free oh, Pleasures. come on! <laughs> you, you can be a friend of the family, Frank. <laughs> yeah. we'll, you, you'll get the newsletter. Frank's <laughs> guested on the first 102. We're really glad you've been here. <laughs> come on! <laughs> He doesn't even bother going to a chorus. He goes straight to verse 2, at least according to Genius.com. I thought it was just a really long verse 1. Yeah. I'm not sure. This is my, I think, one of my favorite parts in terms of the lyrics. And there's a storm that's raging through my frozen heart tonight. Yeah.
1: I like that too. Oh,
0: man. Uh, Mixed metaphor, but you got to mix those metaphors like you mix a drink. And this is a stiff drink he's mixing for us. Am I right, you too?
2: A stiff drink of despair.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Little little bit of storm, a little bit of raging, and a lot of frozen heart. If I could just piggyback on that, Bill, and continue my audition to replace Frank in the podcast. He sets the stage with a line as you say, I hear your – oh, you didn't say that. I said it. I hear your name in certain circles, which uh, calls to mind like social cocktail party, but then describes himself in terms of storms raging, frozen, desperate, wild, implying that his sorrow and loss have turned him into a wild thing, an animal suffering and excluded from the world of the cocktail party.
0: And it always makes him smile. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I didn't take that phrase into account. <laughs> this is the surprising thing, though. He hears her name in those circles, and you think that would cause him the panic Pain, attack. yeah. Right? But instead, he says, it always makes me smile. Okay, panic attack was me with Ashley. I was going to say, uh, the panic no, attack but... that
2: usually follows talking to women. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but when he says, it always makes me smile, kind of threw me. I like the line... I wonder how it, like, matches with the rage and the catching his breath thing, but it, it works really well. Yeah.
2: But isn't that the human condition? We're contradictions. With
0: this, yeah. I'm not saying anything because I have no idea
1: what to say.
2: <laughs> well, uh, let me tell you what Walt Whitman said. Oh, my goodness. He said, you say I contradict myself. Fine,
1: Easy, Mr. Leaves of Grass. There we go.
2: Fine, I contradict myself. I am large. I contain contradictions. I uh, contain multitudes. Multitudes. Thank you, Bill.
3: I hear your name in certain circles, and it always makes me smile.
0: Just to close off, verse two, apparently it's verse two. I spend my time thinking about you, and it's almost driving me wild. Oh, no, no, no. It is driving.
1: It's wild. it's he's that's his first lie to himself, I think. Well done, Frank. Nice, Frank. Yeah. Thanks for having me as a guest on your podcast, Bill and Stew. Bill and Stu
2: and Frank's guilt-free pleasures.
3: I spend my time
0: So, we get, we got this pre-chorus here, and he is removing himself suddenly from the whole mix. He says, oh, there's a heart that's breaking down this long-distance line tonight. Now, is it her heart or his heart? I think he's talking about his heart. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that attempt at... Stu, get let me know if I'm correct here.
2: Is this what we call disassociation? Dis- yes, and uh, maybe on a more relatable level... <laughs> Uh, He's using the passive voice, where he's not assigning responsibility to the action, to avoid saying the thing that's difficult to say.
0: He no longer disassociates himself when he goes to the chorus. Am I right, guys?
2: You are right, Bill. Testify.
0: Yeah. Sure. Because, Frank, what's he say? I ain't missing you at all. Missing you. Missing you. <laughs>
2: Since you've been gone. Away.
0: I ain't missing you at all. There we go. This song demands a chorus of people singing along with it. I think so.
1: It's really difficult to analyze this song now knowing that it was about so many different women in his life in different stages of relationships, like a a marriage that's ending, a current amour,
0: and an ex-best girl. And an uncertain future as a singer. He hasn't had a number one hit. He doesn't even know he's destined for bad English. Yeah, oh, exactly. So this is where he's at. And he says about this chorus, he said, it just came to him. He was surprised he sang it. He didn't think he was going to say, I ain't missing you at all, no matter what my friends say or something like that. He said, I, I didn't even know I was going to sing it. It just naturally came to him.
1: It's similar to the 10 song, I'm Not In Love. He's trying to tell himself that he ain't missing her at all. Same with I'm Not In Love. It's like, I'm not in love. I, I, it's not love it's like I'm not missing this girl
2: oh, so man. so I think at this point we should all just pause for a moment and consider the lies we're telling ourselves Oh, so many
0: lies how many do I need to consider and like how much are we going to be cutting out of this podcast we're going to be sitting here for days yeah Frank I didn't give you MVP for that I f- couldn't remember 10cc I kept thinking what other song was about someone lying to themselves and we had done an episode on this
1: yeah, it's great to uh, be back on the podcast and kick Stu
0: out finally. Yeah, welcome back to Bill and Frank's Free Pleasures hey, with hey, our hey, guest, Stu.
2: Hey guys, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, Are you though? Are, Are you? Current amour?
1: Well, yeah. I don't <laughs> know. Great. Is
2: that a seafaring term? <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Are we ready to talk about verse three? Because I'm ready because I have some pretty cool
2: things written down here.
0: That's a lie and you know it.
2: When we get to verse five, I have something valuable to contribute
0: <laughs> all right he's got the following line now this is tricky because depending on the version of the lyrics you find online they change it up mm-hmm. but they get it wrong because he says there's a message in the wire a lot of other versions that i found said there's a message in the wild but they got that wrong because he already said she was driving him wild no he says there's a message in the wire and i'm sending you this signal tonight He's thinking of a particular song about someone who works with wires. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Wait, what? Dun, dun, dun. No, I heard
1: oh, that part. Okay. I'm trying to understand. What song is about wires?
0: The Wichita Lineman. He's in love with Glenn Campbell? He's channeling a bit of the Glenn Campbell. Now, the crazy thing, though, is. The Glenn Campbell song, which is possibly one of the greatest songs ever written, at least according to... Nah, it's not Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen, so... <laughs> no. Um, I'll, I'll fight you on that Let's one. Let's not pick the scab tonight, Frank. But in the Wichita Lineman, Glenn Campbell sings, I need you more than I want you. And this is a sort of oh, desperation. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm.
1: That's a great line.
0: It is. And th- that desperation comes out in the song, despite... John Waits' character claiming that he's not missing the person. I, but we I believe it's it. John Wait. Did I say John Wait? Did I say Waits? You said Waits. Well, this whole Tom Waits joke that you've been talking about for like <laughs> a, year. a year is now stuck in my head. And I'm like, this isn't gonna work. No one's gonna get it. But now I'm just gonna I'm gonna stick just with riff on it. Okay. Just, this verse is so good because after okay, oh here it comes. You don't know how desperate I've become. There's a Wichita line, man. I need you more than I want you. And it looks like I'm losing this fight. And then he kills it with this line. And to John Waite, apostrophe S, yes, credit. I mean, this is so poetic. In your world, I have no meaning, though I'm trying hard to understand. Which is such a perfect play on words. No meaning, and I'm trying to understand. But how can you understand something that has no meaning? He has no meaning in her world. And he can't understand
2: it Which is why he's the interrogator And the interrogatee
0: Oh, is that youngin? Or are we uh, now in like a um, Dostoevsky thing? I think
2: it's a madhouse of mirrors
3: There's a message In the wire And I'm sending you This signal tonight You don't know How desperate I've become And it looks like
0: His songwriting is incredible. Like, I I didn't really give him credit because when Bad English had their number one, Diane Warren wrote it. Yeah. But John Wade on his own, dare I say, writes better. This is incredible. He says that he doesn't think about the lyrics. He reads a lot of poetry Mm -hmm. and he just lets it kind of happen. So, he feels like they should be kind of word pictures that will form meaning as he just throws them down. Yeah. Okay. Holy cow. Is he ever throwing down? Yeah. Word pictures. Word. That means you agree with me? i getting that right.
1: I agree with you, yes. Although I will say that When I See You Smile is still the better song in my eyes.
2: Just to pick up on your idea of word pictures, Bill, I'd lyrically, wait, leaves some clues along the way. For example, the second verse contains a line, and that's my heart that's breaking down this long distance line tonight. And then in the fifth verse, he uses the phrase like a telegraph to your soul. So the long-distance line and the telegraph, two very outdated versions of communication, which suggests that the reason their relationship broke up was that he was not a very good communicator.
1: Oh, my god! No, that makes sense. Yeah. But I hate to (laughs) You almost said
2: that believably.
1: (laughs) I hate to tell the guest that he's wrong. Wait, am I the
2: guest? Yes.
1: In the lyric sheet that I have, it's not the fifth verse. It's the bridge that you're referring to with the, like, a telegraph to your soul.
0: 102 episodes in, I feel Frank has a, a, a stranglehold Berm on the bridge. <laughs> on what a bridge is. Especially if genius.com gives you that, 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 that little tip there. Yeah.
2: Uh, a, a bridge is a transition.
0: Where
1: were you 101 episodes ago, Stu? Thanks. Why don't we head to the bridge since
0: we, we, we since know? Since we're the already course. there? Yeah, we're already there. Yeah. Okay, actually, Stu just kind of nailed the
1: bridge. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> let's okay. just pass over the bridge, yeah, and yeah. onto the other side. <laughs>
0: Just to add to the bridge there that Stu already touched on.
1: Also, I want to say that it's ironic that the bridge has the line, I can't bridge this distance. I was hoping you'd say
0: that. Yeah, so he gave us the clue, especially if he says, stop this heartbreak overload, which goes back to wires, telegraphs. Yeah. A lot of electrical. Yeah. Yeah. And the heartbreak overload is he's heartbroken, right? When he says he ain't missing her, by just saying that is the is the lie. He's gonna be more clear about it later, but that's it. Yeah. And we get it in the bridge, which takes us back to that chorus, which of course is both infectious and super painful to yeah. me. The more I hear it. But it's uh to quote John C. Mellencamp, it hurts so good.
2: We're just gonna pause and let that drop for a minute. Stop That's why it's the chorus, because it's the pain that he can't stop from going back to. That's right. Which is, I believe, what you just said.
1: But it's what makes the song so emotive. He can't get over this pain of not being over this girl that he's missing, even though he's trying to tell himself that he's missing
0: her. And I mean, on my lyric sheet, the third page is just chorus, pre-chorus, chorus. chorus, And then by the time we get to the outro, he says, I keep lying to myself. Yeah, which, as Stu brought up earlier, is already the whole point. Young Yin. One. Yeah. Or just like, that, that's... Was I correct in that? Or am I wrong again? No, I... I think uh, you nailed it. I think you nailed it. Yeah. Sweet. I was I'm also gonna... To to, like, I had this joke, but I think I might have used it on a previous podcast. But that you don't need a therapist for this because he's telling you exactly yeah. what the issue is. Yeah. He ain't missing her, no matter what everyone else in his life says.
1: And I have that no matter what my friends say, circled and asterisked around. Because no matter what my friends say, I ain't missing you at all. There's like so many times where you try and convince yourself. Relationships. This girl is fantastic. I love her. I am all about her. And your friends are saying, it's like, are you sure? Like, maybe. It's like, nope, you're wrong. I'm right. And you have blinders on and you're, all about this relationship even though it's completely wrong for you your friends are
2: fantastic indicators of potentially what you should be doing i I had that experience for about five years once
1: but am i am i wrong with that no you are totally right i've been blinded by a girl that i was crazy about and people are constantly saying like um, I don't think she's treating you right. It's like, no, 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 no. You guys don't know. You don't know her the way I do. You don't, you don't get it. No, but they totally get it. They could see that I was completely in the wrong and it was just not working.
0: So dear listener, listen to your friends. They love you and they want to help you. I'm sorry, Roxette may be wrong when
1: they said, listen to your heart. Listen to your friends.: Yes, listen to your friends. Your friends are your
2: heart. Your friends are your heart. Oh, that's so nice. Except you guys who left me in Purgatory for five years that time.
1: Well, uh, oh, we okay. talked about her behind your back. Don't worry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you didn't. looking back. OK. Wow, this John Waite guy's good. <laughs> <It> is, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Universal therapist.: Dr. John Waite, the uh... <laughs> Dr. John was a, a New Orleans penis to influence Tom Waite's sidebar. Since we're all going uh, philosophical here,
0: Descartes famously said, I think, therefore I am. But I'll tell you this, proper theology and philosophy says, you know who you are because of the reaction of the people around you. They speak the truth into your life. So, you need those friends. You need those good people around you, then you'll
2: know what it is to be human. And you need to stay away from that person you should never have been with in the first place. I'm just taking a flyer here. Tell me if I'm going in the wrong direction. But to bring it back to the song, what have his friends been doing? They're going to her behind his back and saying, you're killing him.
0: Are they? Yeah. No, they must be. Because despite what my friends say means they're talking to her. And he hears no. her name in certain circles.
2: No,
1: because the way I read it is no matter what my friends say, because his friends are talking to him because he's speaking Ooh. to her. Correct. I ain't missing you at all. listeners. No matter were, what my friends say, well, see, I'm I, not
0: missing you. All right, I, I'm reading it differently. I'm thinking that his friends are saying, no, no, you're not overheard. Yes, I am. No, yeah, I totally yeah, 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 absolutely. That's what they're saying. But he's
1: telling the girl that he's not missing her. And his friends are saying,
2: you are missing you her. You are
1: missing her. Okay. okay so, at this
2: point, we have reached a schism in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Because I think a third version is that... The friends have gone to her and are saying to her he's missing you. He's caught wind of this and is now saying to her, no matter what my friends say i'm I'm not missing you unless that's exactly what you just said.
1: <laughs> did i did I just say that i was I, was I don't know wor- I was is that what you were on, saying? I was working on a joke that I wasn't paying attention
0: to you no <laughs> back to me. I think they have mutual friends, and I think uh this is gets a tricky thing when your friends are friends with your ex. Are they still within the same friendship circle, or do they have to choose between them? Is John Wade experiencing this, even though he talks to her over long-distance lines? And his friends must be using long-distance lines and telegraphs? Are they just listening in on the conversation? That's creepy. Well, maybe we should look to the video to see if we can get more truth. Before he shot the video, he cut all his hair off. Yeah,
1: that's right.
2: So he, he looked different.
0: Yeah, he bought an expensive suit, and then he
2: chopped his hair off. He looks like a 1980s David Duchovny.
0: Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, he does. Not too far removed from uh, Corey Hart's sunglasses at night.
2: Yeah. Because they got that look. Nice, with the As, earring. Yeah, when David yeah. Duchovny not too far removed from either of them. Wait a minute. As always, you two have sparked great ideas in my mind. Is his earring not a cross?
1: I think that it is.
2: He's suffering on the cross. And in the words of Tom Waits, his friends are saying to him, come down off the cross, we can use the wood. I'm glad the mic is on a boom, because you would have dropped
0: it there.
4: No matter what my
0: so, early on, there's this like scene of them coming together in the room and falling down on a bed. And immediately, yeah. it moves to her packing up her bags. He runs to the door, hides behind it. And then she opens the door and possibly breaks his nose. And
1: he, yeah, he gets smashed in the face by the door.
0: Which is well-deserved for hiding behind the door, which is really odd. This begs the question, which I know is the wrong term for this.
1: Was the video shot in the States or in England? Because they drive on the other side of the road in England. Maybe they open the doors oppositely in England.
2: Uh, respectfully, Frank, I think it's the toilets flush the other way. No, England.
0: that's Australia. That makes perfect sense because that's why he was so surprised by getting hit in the face with that door. He I didn't think so. It also explains why it ends with him getting hit to, by that car. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wait,
1: wait, he got hit by a car? Oh no! Wait. Extended wait, what he version. of Thunder. Oh, I didn't see the door coming all that side. That's my.
0: Did I, go. Publius accent? <laughs> yes. There's a moment in early on he uses the term, and it makes me smile. He tries to smile, and it was might be one of the worst smiles ever in acting history. It's like George C. Scott trying to be Scrooge. Do you see the George C. Scott uh, Christmas Carol from 1984? No. Okay, same year. George C. Scott um, plays Scrooge. He's a great angry Scrooge, but when Scrooge comes to life, so to speak, at the end, his smile was almost as terrible as John Waite trying to smile to say, and it makes you smile. He smiles and immediately goes to the worst grimace ever. That grimace is even more pronounced when the woman at the bar tries to hit on him. Oh, yeah. And I've never seen a bigger look of disgust in his face when he shakes his head and looks at this. I'm not into you because I'm missing this other girl. It was great. Okay. I got more. I got more. Okay. <laughs> this is so good. All right. So, his girlfriend is a model. Just to harken back to
2: the smile, Bill, could it possibly underline the inseparability of love and pain in that the smile and the wince are indistinguishable?
0: Now you're treading on my mixtapes, do, but I'm not going to say anything about it in case one of you two steal my idea. All right. I got some more for you. She's a model,
2: right? Yeah. The he's with they're applying the makeup at the start
0: yeah yeah and he has a moment where he has this fake smile but then he does his vaudevillian stumble over the camera for some reason while she's at her photo shoot and she gives this great smile and then everywhere he goes he sees her because she's a model
1: well yeah
0: and one of the things is this newspaper on the ground he looks at and here's what they're advertising straws 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 (laughs) <laughs> let me read it for Wait, you they're advertising straws they're made of straws
2: which are not environmentally friendly and it says
0: the no. following not the last straw
2: the only straw
0: and it's a picture of her with a straw in her mouth it heads to him in the bar from there i think where he's all yeah. depressed and then later Sometimes he's on the, the best
2: p- art is indecipherable
0: <laughs> and then the next thing he's on phones and he's slamming phones down and yeah. dropping them but at one point He hits the phone. he he smashes the phone and it
1: explodes. Yeah.
0: And our buddy Tom Bryhan, who wrote on this song, says he knows this is impossible because as a teenager, he tried to destroy a phone and they were nearly impossible. Yeah. They're indestructible. They were built to last for a nuclear war. It was the 80s after all. Yeah, it's true. I love that video. And it's so heartbreaking when she comes to the door to finally come back to him and he's listening to whatever on his headphones
2: and doesn't hear her.
0: Yeah. That's heartbreaking. That is. That's devastating. That's
2: missed opportunities. It goes back to the poor communication of the telegraph and the long distance line.
0: Yeah.
1: Had she telegraphed him, he
2: may have known that she was coming by. Because the doorman would
0: have brought the wire. Yes. Oh, man. 40 years later, she could have just texted him. That's where we are now, about 40 years later. Doing the math? Yep. Oh, you're correct. Do you want to hear what was in the top five when he was at number yeah, one? Yeah, I was yes. wondering that. Because this Real is... context.
1: Because this came out in 84, which is... The
0: greatest year in music year history.
1: for music.
0: Yeah. Why don't you tell us about it, Bill? So, the previous number one, What's Love Got to
2: Do With It by Tina that's Turner. That's right. He no- knocks her off the pedestal. Can I chime we, in there? I don't mean to interrupt, yeah. Bill. But you, but, you do. So, Go on, interrupt. Actually, that's exactly what I meant to do. I apologize, Bill. So, as Bill just pointed out, uh, the song exploded on the world scene in 1984, knocking Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do with It out of the number one spot. Yes. Tina Turner responded by going on to record a cover of Missing You herself in a classic game of No, I'm Not Missing You. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm Not Missing You. At all. (laughs) Missing You. (laughs)
0: Because
1: that came out in 96, right? Oh, man. I think.
0: Yeah. A regrettable track. Is it? Yes.
1: I thought it was okay.
0: Oh, we have another schism. What do you call two schisms?
2: Uh, octopi.
0: All right, I'm going to return to this topic of covers because it sounds like me and you got some talking to do, Frank. Here's the top five. From September 22nd, 1984. Yeah. Missing You, number yeah. one. Let's Go Crazy, number two. Prince of the Revolution. Oh, lives. no, let's go. Number three. Shebop, Cyndi Lauper. Oh, wow. Number four. What's Love Got to Do With It? And Number five crazy. This is a crazy top five. Drive the Cars. Oh, wow. What a crazy year for music. And 1984 is unbelievable. I read the Tom Bryhan
1: article, and there were 19 number one songs in 1984. And only one of them lasted only one week. And that was Missing You by John Waite. Everything else was multiple weeks. And if you look at what he was up
0: against, these are all... Oh, these are juggernauts of music. Yeah. So for him to pull this off is incredible. Yeah. and uh, It's like Timmy T knocking off Mariah, Mariah Carey. You're right. This is our Timmy T moment. There's a
4: heart that's breaking Down this long tonight, I missing you at all Since you
0: Since Stu has already brought it up, I listened to a lot of covers of this, and people have tried their best, have not pulled it off, in my view. So, I just kind of want to move through them. We can decide if we keep whatever we keep. But the most famous one, probably, is the Tina Turner version. Yeah. Now, the guy from Entertainment Weekly, I don't know why I said it that way, as though you would know who he was, he wrote an article on John Waite like years later, and yeah. referenced his own article that he wrote in Entertainment Weekly. So, I read this People Magazine review of John Waite, okay. I think his latest movie, yeah. which is called The Hard Way. And the guy writing in People referenced this Entertainment Weekly article, but then I realized he's referencing his own article. Okay. So, it was on Tina Turner's version. So, in that version, he wrote down the following, Tina Turner aims high on this cover of John Waite's 1984 hit and misses the mark. Waits' version soared because his understated passion perfectly captured the repressed agony of someone hopelessly haunted by lost love and unwilling to admit it. But Turner's Missing You sounds too gritty and tough, like she wouldn't be caught dead pining away for some two-bit bozo who walked out. And when he wrote this about Tina Turner's thing, he said, fun fact, after the author's A review of Turner's cover of Missing You for Entertainment Weekly came out. Waite sent a handwritten letter expressing how pleased he was that the writer understood his song. John Waite wrote a handwritten letter for the guy who wrote in Entertainment Weekly. Like some little, like, four-sentence blurb about Tina Turner. (laughs)
1: one little cast off
0: comment. Thanking him because he understood this. And when you hear Tina Turner's version, it's all right. She's got the voice and everything. It's good, yeah. But... There's not the sense that she is in pain or agony. She is, I was
2: going to say, she's she's putting on somebody else's emotions. Yeah. It doesn't ring
4: true.
0: Let me tell you some more versions. Did you do you guys know any of these covers? Or are these? I know, prices?
1: I know a couple of them. I, there's
0: the one that he did with Allison Krauss. Alison yeah, he really likes it. He yeah. teared up about it in his documentary. Oh wow! I'm not sure I'm feeling it.
2: At this point, I would just like to say, Miss Krauss, um, I have great respect for your work. I have better personal hygiene than Robert Plant, and I'm reachable. <laughs> <laughs> Kara, if you're listening, that was just for the podcast. I love you. <laughs> I love the kids. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the kids.
0: All right, here's some more covers, okay? Uh, John Wayne covered it two or three more times. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Just> <laughs> he covered for his own song?
0: There's one that was actually so close that it got better treatment in terms of Spotify. The loudness ratio is better for some of the others, but okay. the original version hasn't been remastered, so I don't know if there's some issue with the record company. So, he did a couple versions, and there's a version that he did on his Wooden Heart album that was like um, an acoustic version, which mm-hmm. was pretty good. There's a version by this guy. Are you ready for this?
2: You all. That's not it's Rod, Rod Stewart. Stewart, is it Rod Stewart? Yeah. <laughs> is
1: it on one of his American Music songbooks?
2: unplugged and seated
0: it's like great cl- rock classics of our time so okay. yeah and it's like they have said he's got a squandered voice rodster's voice is so perfect but yeah th- it's so clean
2: the production even his singing is so
0: clean that it misses the mark this song
1: needs to be dirty
2: you can't picture a musician playing that it sounds like it's out yeah. the machine
1: no and when i say dirty i mean like it's there's got to be some grime it's human. with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Here's something that's
0: maybe even cleaner.
3: There's a heart that's breaking down this long.
0: I'm done with that. Do you find
1: that country music today is basically '80s rock music? Well, I
0: think that might have been country music from the late '90s. <laughs> Same. There's a well. There is an argument Tom Bryan I think makes saying that the power ballad has become the ultimate country song. Yeah. Right. Well, then it gets it gets it gets really bad because uh, well, depends on how you take it. There's a group called Evoke. E apostrophe. Oh, the I didn't listen to this version. Man, they got a couple versions, so you can't get like an official version, like R&B edit, this edit. But to me, this is awful. And <laughs> uh, uh, this goes into, uh, okay, category time as well. What
2: season of the year would you think this song fits perfectly Oh, in?
0: John Wade's version? Yeah,
2: fall. John Wade. I was going to say fall too.
0: Okay, I'd say fall. What do you think about this being around Christmas? Fall,
2: the season of death. yeah.
0: Well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. It's the end of everything. So, no. Well, what do you think about Christmas time? No. How depressing it would be. No. Okay. Exactly. Christmas is fun. Christmas yeah. is nice. All right. Here's, I get presents. Here's a version of it no. to the tune. No. Of in the bleak midwinter. Are you serious? Distance.
2: is bad. This is
0: horrendous. This is not good at all. I hope we're all appreciating how difficult this is to cover. Yeah. Even John Waite struggles to cover himself in this. Although he says that his voice is still hitting all the notes. He's in his 70s, but I I think he's right. He still sounds great, but that version from the 80s, captures everything. And I think it also helps
2: to be in such personal disarray to sing this song. Yeah. It's all oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
2: It could be that it's so hard to cover because it's difficult to, to go back and recall that pain accurately. So every time he lays it down again, it's a version of a version of a version.
1: Yeah. So it's like photocopying.
2: You're inside my head, Brother Frank. You're going to see some disturbing things in there.
0: I've been there before. I know what to expect. All right, so I feel like we're already in categories. And so let's talk some categories. Do we have a Hallmark movie plot for this? Funny you should ask that, Bill.
2: The movie I see unfolding in the cinema of my brain is a woman returns to her small town to escape the loneliness of big city life only to encounter her lost love, who she thinks she ain't missing, but really is. Spoiler, they get together in the end. Hallmark, we say this all the
0: time, you reach out to us. And if you try to make a movie like this, Will Sue.
1: Yes. Also, I think they've also already made several movies like this, but not with the love interest that she comes back to being John Stamos. Or maybe that was. I don't know. I haven't watched a lot of Hallmark movies. Do you have a plot? No, no, no. That was basically... Okay. Stu hit the nail on the head.
0: When Michael Bolton covers this song... Which you know he will, and he will do
1: a killer version Yeah, of
0: it. If it were to be truly killer... At what point would Michael Bolton inadvertently destroy himself while singing it?
1: Well, it's in the chorus,
0: yeah, and it's
1: "I ain't missing you at all." Boom! Yeah, yeah, and he's done. Like when there, we didn't really get into a lot of the the vocal sort of changes in the song, but in the chorus, because the the verses are all very sort of subtle and quiet, but he really goes after it in the chorus, right?
2: Yeah. To drown out his pain.
1: Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, because that's way more emotive. He's trying to convince
0: himself. So he's he's yelling at that point. But Michael Bolton, if he were to do this, I don't think He yells think he's... at every point. Well, I mean, and uh, John Waite's voice is so special. I think it's okay. John Waite. <laughs> you guys ruined me. John Waite. Wait a second. Wait, I got that right. It's apostrophe in there. <laughs> oh, that's right. You did. Sorry. <laughs> John Wade's voice is so special because there's a subtlety to it. There's a raspiness to it. He's got all these different things. Yeah. But Bolton can't help but go full Bolton. At least in my mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. And when he says he ain't missing you, it's just going to be an explosion. Again, and this isn't a knock against Michael Bolton, but there's no
2: subtlety in that voice. No. You can't control an instrument like that.
1: No, absolutely.
2: You can't ride a wild horse. Would he include the song in a softball video?
1: I would think so, yes. Maybe he's talking about the the catcher from the softball team that left and went to go play for a different team. He ain't missing him at all.
2: Or what if he, he hits it out of the park and he sings to the ball?
1: Like- oh, that's even better, yeah. Oh, that's a great walk-off song. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's
0: great. So I don't know why the Jays aren't using this for their home runs, I but know, right? I ain't missing you at all. Missing. And in the crowd, can you say, missing you? Missing so you.
1: So ownership group you cannot use this as a walk-off uh winning song uh, unless you give us royalties <laughs> okay. it's our idea not yours mixtape all right
2: Stu. did you uh have a couple songs you include a in mixtape for this i did and it's, it's really charting the history of the relationship uh i would start with uh, the song depicting the beginning that that honeymoon phase if you will uh, here Comes the Sun, but not the George Harrison version, which I find very depressing. Uh, the Richie Haven's version from Richie Haven. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. And then the, the song that uh, the onset of Trouble, uh, the Carmen Oberna, Carmen Oberna, am I saying that? Dun, 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 dun. Is that Carmen Berna, I think? Yeah, yeah. We're going to agree. I think we're going to agree that that's what that is. Yeah. Uh, And then, of course, the collapse of the relationship. I ain't missing you at all. And then to bring it all home, rock solid foundation, My Life by Billy Joel. I don't care what you say. This is my life. Nice. Oh, that's very good. It's the redux or return to health. Oh,
0: nice. All right. For mine, uh, I'm kind of dealing with lies and deception and self-deception. Okay. Little Lies, Fleetwood Mac. What Do You Mean by Justin Bieber? Incredible song. Here's an incredible one you will know because you bought the album. Even a Fool Can See, Peter Cetera. Oh, yeah. And I'm closing it off with a guy who lies to himself, but it's not working because his makeup is running. Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, Tears,
1: Tears of a Clown. clown. Yeah. That's fantastic. A nice song.
2: Can, I, can I make an addendum? Sorry, Frank.
1: We'll allow it, yes.
2: <laughs> this could maybe possibly even turn into a follow-up podcast the connection between john Wade i ain't missing you and rick astley never going to give you up neither one can let go of the pain that's true no yeah
1: that could be a complete killer of the flow of a podcast because <laughs> we were transitioning <laughs> apologies
2: to frank it's
1: okay I went super basic, as I usually do, because I'm a pretty basic person. Song's about missing someone. So I can't put this song on this mixtape, because I've put it on at least two others. But I will give a special shout out to Bill Withers' Ain't No Sunshine. Fantastic. The mixtape starts with Someone Like You by Adele. Mm. Faithfully by Journey, which is such a good song. Always Bon Jovi, So Far Away, Carol King, Nothing Compares to You, Sinead O'Connor, Missing You by Steve Perry, which is I know very on the nose. And I struggled with how to close off this mixtape. But the song that made me cry the most will be the closer. Somewhere out there, Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram.
0: So are these all the opposite of missing you where they're
2: actually They're actually missing? Yeah, they're, they're songs about oh, missing people. I got gotcha.
0: you. Yeah. I was listening.
2: I was listening. Were you? Yeah,
0: I was listening. Totally.
2: So it's not the opposite.
0: Yeah. Oh, so it's it the is. the exact same. It's the exact same. <laughs> okay, but he says he ain't missing them, but this is like, I am missing. No, him. but he was but he missing. missing.
1: Did we not? Li- did we not understand this? Did I did understand? Did I
0: miss the last hour and a half of what we talked about? <laughs> did I think, miss what I, 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 I talked about? I <laughs> think so. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. He's Just
2: interrogating <laughs> himself, Bill.
0: Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah.
2: Okay. That's a great mixtape. That is.
1: You guys aren't judging me because I cried when I listened to Somewhere
0: Out There, did you? You cry all the time when you yeah. listen I to not, Somewhere Out There. I can't believe you're <laughs> not crying right now. You're crying, crying right now. Right you are crying right now. I'm about Somewhere Out There. What do you, <laughs> Stu, what do you got for us here? What do you
2: got here? This is a challenge that goes out to our <laughs> listeners. Uh, we'll attach a monetary uh, prize to it later. Gentlemen, the first of you to play Missing You as the first dance at your wedding with your previous girlfriend's face projected onto the wall over the dance floor, will probably get divorced before the night's over.
1: Well, this is very troubling because I'm the only one amongst us who isn't married. So is this a challenge or is this a decree
2: or do I have to do this? Do you say decree and current amour in the same? (laughs) Yes, I did. I'm an old soul, Stu. You're an old sailor, apparently. Uh,
0: What part of the song gives you joy, Frank?
1: Oh, I will tell you exactly the part of the song that gives me joy. It's right at the beginning of the chorus. He brings in, "I ain't missing you at all," but then there's and I, the note that I have beside the lyrics is video game sounds, because it's the yeah,
0: yeah, very good,
2: bing, very bing, of the eighties, Yeah,
0: and there's there's little things going on in the production that I really appreciate. I think at the very end, yeah, video games. Yeah, you know, no, at the very end, I thought I heard dulcimer.
2: That's from the 1580s.
0: (laughs) I swear. There's these little moments where whoever's producing this is doing something incredible. Yeah. The production really does make the tune. Yeah. right. And so I'm glad you bring up that. And then we didn't talk enough about it, but there's just all these little things that are going on in the song that make it work so well, and which makes it so hard to cover. Yeah. Because it just hits a moment where... There's a cry of the guitar that sounds like they almost have a bow against
1: it. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I feel myself bleeding out emotionally. So when when those video game sounds come on,
1: you referenced this in our Vanessa Carlton episode. It's called a grace note. Am I correct with that? With yeah,
2: like a pickup. Yeah. I think it's so much of a time with the synth and the video game sounds. And you marry that to the emotional time that he was in. You put those two together. And that's why, part of the reason at least, why it's impossible to cover. I
0: don't disagree. At the beginning of this podcast, Stu gave us a reading that kind of nailed it. And um, we had to keep pretending that we were able to talk about the rest of this. Yeah, like we had something
1: insightful to say, but it was all Stu. I
0: want to just say thank you to Stu for coming here and bringing us your lyrical, and musical expertise.
2: I have to say thank you for including me in the podcast. Uh, In my defense, it's my first one. I didn't know you weren't supposed to begin with the ending.
1: Well, live and learn, Stu. This is a learning experience, and we are very open and accepting here on Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures.
2: If I can be so bold as to take part in the sign-off, I'm just a guest for now. We'll see you next time, listeners. And until then... We won't be missing you. Or will we? (laughs) This has been Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures.